Uh, welcome back, everyone. And again, welcome everyone watching us online. Uh, there's something interesting I wanted to show everyone today. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to come across in the camera. Should I do like Jimmy Fallon? Like that, right? So this is, uh, if you didn't see it, it's called Beginning the Second Century, Serving God in Community, First United Methodist Church of Hampton, Iowa. Uh, this is, Hampton, Iowa is a small town, Northeast Iowa. It's where my mom grew up. Uh, right now it has a population maybe 4,200. And um, the, my mom grew up at the Methodist Church and you can, you know, you'd have to look real close to see it, but big, beautiful building, huge tower on the corner. Uh, gorgeous inside, has kind of the stadium kind of seating. And um, this is their capital campaign brochure from their 1959 capital campaign. And I thought it was fun to look at uh, because uh, we just went through a big capital campaign. So I thought, what if I kind of compared the two? How did the booklets compare? Um, and of course, they, you know, have a nice, uh, they have a nice slogan and you open it up and, you know, there's a little dedication poem. There's the message from the pastor, from Reverend Wayne Schumacher uh, there, give, talking about our mission. And, uh, and then they say why they need a capital campaign. And while we had to do ours for a lot of basic maintenance things, like painting and roofing, theirs was because they had so many kids joining the church and so many kids in the Sunday school that they couldn't find places to put them. So you look in here and it's, oh, they're in Memorial Hall, uh, ki library kitchen facilities. The library has a kitchen. Um, they're meeting in the library storage room. And I'm like, dang, your church library must have been a pretty intense church library. It has its own kitchen and its own storage room. But So they had so many kids, their youth group. Oh, look at the big youth group they had. So they had so many kids piling into the church, and they didn't know where to put them, and where would they hold all those Sunday school classes. So they were holding this campaign to build on. And it was kind of funny because you go through, and here you can see all the white guys in suits who were chairing the, 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 the committee. And uh, every, one of them, every one of them was male. And... Um, uh, and here's the, here's the total committee. Again, I, I find this kind of funny because they have a lot of the same divisions that we had. You know, somebody on follow through, somebody on asking, somebody on, on uh, doing mailers. The women over here were in charge of hospitality and the celebrations. It was, it was 1959, right? We all had those same committees. We didn't divvy them up quite that same week. And they said that you could if you gave two, you could give two dollars for 150 weeks, was a suggested pledge. Um, money went differently back then, but I just found it kind of funny because I'm looking at this, you know, and how 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 different it was, you know, back then. My my mom went to this church. My grandpa was on the board of this church, and how you know, in a town of about 5,000 people, they had so many kids coming, they had to add on that their problem was what to do with all these people coming in and filling their pews and needing to have somewhere to put them, uh, you know, and this was the 50s, right? All these GIs, they're coming back from war, they're getting married, they're starting these big families, and, uh, and, the, and the majority 
not all, but the majority back then went to church. And so the church has to deal with this influx. So what do you do? Well, you got to have places to put them and they got to have systems, right? You, you, you had to have committees and boards. You had to have various policies and manuals and, and things to sort of have a structure, right? Because you have so much people coming in, you don't want it turning into chaos. And um, so they set all this up and they had to have all these systems and they needed a degree of control because, you know, you, you, you don't want things getting out, uh, chaotic and you do need to decide what Sunday school curriculum do we use. How do you keep up with all this growth? And of course, I look at it and I go, boy, things have kind of changed a little bit, huh? You know, the culture, the culture was on your side back then if you were a church. You know, most, it was normal to go to church. It was normal to believe in God. It was considered a good thing to have your kids educated in the church and to worship as a family. I mean, if you were a church, you almost didn't have to do evangelism. The culture did evangelism for you. You know, you hear people talk about, I'd miss church on Sunday, and my boss would ask me where I was on Monday. You know, boy, things have changed, right? You know, it was kind of like, it's kind of like church was in the air, like the way, you know, the way in Wisconsin, the Green Bay Packers don't have to go and do a lot of work to convince people to like their football team. You know, it's just in the air. It's what you do. And if you don't do it on a Sunday afternoon at Billy's Sheboygan Riverside Tavern, your truck might not be functional when you get out of the game, right? Now, think of how that culture has shifted, right? You know, the TV shows make fun of Christians or they say we're all maybe a little bit perverted or deviant somehow and repressed. They, they think we're obsessed with, you know, uh, taking away gay rights. They think we're anti-science, all these kind of things, you know. And now, you know, instead of asking, you know, in school, I remember sitting there asking, what church do you go to? What church do you go to? Now you say you go to church and they look at you funny, you know. Oh, you must hate gays. That's like one of the responses. You must hate gays. Why do I hate gays? Because you go to church, right? Isn't that what Christians do? And isn't it, it's sad commentary that that's the first thing that, that, that a lot of people think. But there's enough places that fit that bill that I know where they get the idea from, right? And so you get portrayed in movies as these sort of uptight, judgmental people. And so in this culture, if you're a follower of Jesus, at best, it's one lifestyle choice in a whole smorgasbord of lifestyle choices, you know? I choose biking, I choose pink glowing crystals, I choose a meditation app, you choose church. We all just choose, choose from all our different selections. It's just a lifestyle choice. There isn't really any truth or significance to it. Or at worst, you're narrow-minded and maybe ignorant and intolerant. And so you try to work at the church, it's kind of like you're swimming against the current. In the 50s, the current was with you, you just had to ride it. Now you're plowing up against the current. Things are pushing against you. And you realize you're in a world where, you know, no one's going to come if they aren't invited. And no one's going to know about Jesus if we don't tell them. And no one's going to believe or have the really experience God's love unless we create that experience for them. So in other words, nothing's going to happen unless we make it happen. And it's not going to happen just by default. It's going to happen when people take leadership on it. So without leadership, it won't get done. So then the question becomes, okay, Lars, then what is leadership? 
What do you mean by leadership? Now, in my definition, the definition of Lars, leadership is, it's taking initiative and making things happen and bringing people along with you. It's being the, the starter, the catalyst, the energy, the one that keeps it going. The leader is the one who moves people off the couch and onto, as Tobias said, great accomplishments. So let me use an example. Uh, I believe that men should be spiritual leaders in their families. So before you get out your tomatoes, I said leaders, not bosses, not controllers. I said leaders. There's a difference, right? A man who is a spiritual leader of his family, you know, gets his butt up in the morning and helps get the kids ready for worship. Unless he's the pastor, in which case he goes to the early service and leaves his wife to do all of that. But I, 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 have, an al I, I have an excuse. Um, but he, you know, he makes a point of telling his kids how important Jesus is in his life. He leads them in prayers himself. You know, he goes with the kids to youth events and talks about how his faith matters to him. You know, he, he supports his wife when the kids say, oh, do we have to? Do we really have to go? Susie doesn't go. You know, he doesn't sleep in on Sunday and say church is women's work. He takes initiative in demonstrating what a Christian life is like. He practices his spiritual life with his kids, and he acts in a way towards others that shows love and compassion. A man who is a spiritual leader of his household is faithful to his spouse. None of this like side chicks and poly this or that stuff. He models the love of God by doing things like taking his kids on service projects and showing compassion. He takes initiative and brings others along with him on the spiritual journey with energy and enthusiasm. That's being a leader. And you could substitute family for small group for whatever. It's not about being a controller, which is where, why we, you know, we always freak out because people misuse that word leader and they make leader into controller. And of course, we all know preachers, probably some of which are not all that far from here, who get those two mixed up you know, and who teach, and who teach the, you know, things like women should be submissive and should obey. Uh, they find that one verse in Timothy that says, I permit no woman to have authority over a man. And gosh darn it, that one is on the Ten Commandments. I, I know it comes a few thousand years later, but gosh darn it, it's right up there. It's absolutely literal, right? And, the, and they'll do that. And so we see that, and they'll say that's leadership, but really that's controlling. Leadership is me willingly stepping out and making things happen and taking initiative. Control, control is about limiting and regulating and monitoring and managing and deciding for others. And, you know, as a church, we have areas where we need control. Control isn't all bad, right? We need control in how the money is handled and counted and, and deposited. There you need lots and lots of control, right? We have staff. We, we have, you know, rules in how we guide our workplace, uh, you know, we have a preschool. We have to have rules to protect the kids and follow state rules. There's a place for control, right? Some control is needed. Uh, and, in and for controlling, you need people who are administrators. And Paul even says that's a spiritual gift. Administration is a spiritual gift. 
So it has its place. But none of those things, managing and administrating and controlling and having good process, those things won't bring people to Christ. They're important, but they don't bring people to Christ. You want to bring people to Christ, you need leadership. We need people to step up and take the initiative and make things happen. And leadership, as I told the boys, is a spiritual gift. So if you look in Romans 12, this is our Bible reading today. It is in your uh, bulletins. Uh, starting at verse 6, Paul gives another one of his grocery lists of spiritual gifts. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. Now, notice an interesting thing here. Paul sometimes ranks gifts. He doesn't rank these. They're just different gifts. The leader isn't better than the compassionate person. It's just a different gift. And, uh, and so he says, there's a, lead for, a need for leaders in the church, for people to be diligent about getting things done and making sure they get done. And, you know, when I look at our day and trying to chart a path forward and, you know, what do we do as Christians in a church? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I look back much more to the time of Paul than I look to the 1950s. Uh, you know, the first Christians, they were in a situation closer to us. You know, they didn't have the culture telling people to go to church. They didn't have people pouring in the doors. If somebody came, they had to go and invite them. They had to tell the story. And there were individuals in the church who were caught up in the Spirit and led by the Spirit to stand up and do God's work. And they, and they grew because the Holy Spirit gifted people with leadership. And they made things happen. And the churches grew and they had converts and people were experiencing the Holy Spirit all the time. And to me, this is where we need to look for as a church. And look back and say, okay, how can I be a leader in my church, in my life, in my home? And it always starts with the same beginning that I, I do pretty much every time, which is to say, step back and just do some of the basic faith practices. Read some scripture. Do a little prayer. Spend some time with a small group of Christians, discerning, asking God to show if there's a way, that if there's some sort of place that God needs you. You can also look at yourself and ask where you feel most irritated that something in the church isn't getting done. Sometimes I think the Spirit speaks in that kind of negative way, right? Why is nobody doing a ministry to the mission, rescue mission? And I would say, you know what? Maybe God's calling you to do a ministry to the rescue mission. Ah! And then I'd say, well, let's sit down and see if I can help you out with that. Right? Sometimes the irritation is a message too. Uh, so, for example, some people do have a passion for evangelism in a particular area. You know, I feel God's calling me to evangelize bikers. I don't know, I'm picking a group. If that's where you think God's calling you, Talk to me. We'll get on your bike. We'll see what you can do. But maybe God's calling you to say, maybe this is where I'm called to. What about a ministry of service? If you're irritated the church doesn't do more for the poor, maybe you could be a leader in that and start helping to set things up. Is there a part of the church's spiritual life that you feel needs to be deepened? 
Do you feel like you could be leading a spiritual retreat or even just helping out in a small group? You can take initiative in that. There's lots of ways to be a leader and to make things happen. And of course, we all know being a leader, it's a lot of work. We know that sometimes the energy, you know, gets hard to find. And, you know, I find that myself often. I have to sit back and go, you know, maybe the answer is not trying to do more doing, but to stop and pray a little bit more. Sometimes less can be a little bit more. And yes, it is a lot of working. And I know sometimes you can fall. That's part of what makes the control. I call it the control trap seem so easy. You know, because I think it's easy to just read someone else's proposal and say, eh, yes, no. There's a place for that, but I think that's a lot easier than making the phone calls and sitting down with people and inspiring people and asking them what their gifts are and getting people on board and setting things up and following through, you know, and then having to have sort of the strength in you to know that a good percentage of the time what you do is going to fall flat on its face because we can't predict things, right? And we're working with people and there's no easy manual. And, but that's just how it is. And we know, of course, when you're a leader, you're putting yourself out there for criticism. And so you have to have a certain strength to do that. And where do we get our strength for that? We get our strength from the Holy Spirit. Leadership is a spiritual gift because, as, as I always say, the strength for it comes from God, not from us. And often when you feel sapped of your strength for leadership, the answer isn't to push harder, it's to stop and reconnect with God. So, but with God giving us that strength, there's amazing things that any of us can do as leaders in our own homes and in our work and in our church and in our faith lives. Amen.